Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about where mortgage rates are headed and the likelihood of them going down to 6% or up to 8% in the near term. A quick shout out to our podcast sponsor, Truve, for making this conversation possible. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. How are you today? I am doing great. By the time this airs, we'll know who won the Super Bowl and therefore who won our bet about who has to uh, do what for the other. So yes, I'm I have to wear sure I, that I, I'm feeling very confident the Chiefs are going to win. Okay, that's that's cute. It's like <laughs> the people that told me that you know how are home sales going to come back when twenty or thirty million people are are unemployed and five million forbearance? I go, that's cute. Listen, this my is army not is 100... the same. That is not. I got an army of one hundred thirty three million Americans behind me with three percent mortgage rates, and you're. In any case, uh, could... if I win, the forty nine win, you're going to have to wear that infamous short shirt that I have. That you know, always be yourself unless you can be Logan. And then always be Logan. So we'll see. And I think that if I win, you're going to have to wear a Taylor Swift shirt. So I, I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll wear it. I'll wear it. I'll wear that shirt. I'll wear a beanie, whatever. It's not going to okay. happen. Okay. You're just so confident. Okay. It'll be funny because people listening to this will know exactly what's going on. So mm-hmm. our um, our topic today, oh, so the topic is, are mortgage rates going to get to 6% or 8% first? I, you know, I'm like, please let it be 6%, but let's, let's dive in there. You know, it's, it's interesting. We're taping this on Thursday. So between now and next week, we're going to get the revisions on the CPI inflation data. Now, you know, you can make a case that maybe uh, the inflation data will be lower because uh, the rents were abnormally a little bit stronger the last few months. So that thing could actually provide better. But my argument has been, hey, <laughs> inflation has already slowed down a lot. Um, so especially on the shorter uh, inflationary things that the Fed focused on. And we're still, 10-year yield is still above 4%, which is like near 7% mortgage rate. So the question is now, Right now, that we're basically at the Super Bowl. What are we going to see first, six percent or eight percent? So the, the the kind of the cases to be made for both right now. I hate that there's a case to be made for both right now. I do not want the case to be made for eight percent mortgage rates. It's listen. It the ten the, the forecast for 2024 was the ten year yield will stay in a range between three point two one and four and a quarter, and that Gandalf line is still there at three point three seven. Right? That's the I three. I can't get lower than that unless the labor market is breaking. So that's why, to me, why I had to hold the ground last year around there. Here, what I mean, if last year, what happened is the ten year yield went above four and a quarter. You know that that does happen on these channels that I do each year, but then it shot up to 5%. So what happened last year? The economy outperformed in the third quarter. Jobless claims data, which is everything for me, jobless claims data today, today came in a, a, a little bit better than maybe some people's estimates and the 10-year yield went up. Jobless claims noticeably got better uh, in the second half of 20, uh, uh, 2023 and the GDP growth was there. But to me, the mistake was the Fed went in one of their meetings and went hawkish, sounded really hawkish. Bond traders were heavily short the market and they rolled right over them. It's like having Godzilla and King Kong just basically smash a city. That's what bond traders were doing to the Fed. So the Fed, you know, was kind of a little bit, you know, 
worried that why why are things getting really restrictive so they they're they're trying to change their tune but they haven't pivoted yet so if we get above four and a quarter on that 10-year yield and bond traders are heavily short the market again and the fed doesn't pivot that's your case for the 10-year yield to go up again and uh uh eight percent mortgage rates because again if if the fed really officially pivoted we wouldn't be having this discussion. The 10-year yield would easily be under 4%, but they haven't. All they've done is they acknowledge that things were very restrictive when the 10-year yield got toward 5%, and uh, they don't believe they need that. Now, it's it, w- it would be even more embarrassing with some of the growth rate of inflation where we are right now and some of the credit deterioration. So for the case for that is that the Fed doesn't pivot bond traders load up on shorts and we get stronger economic data or stronger and they just ride that 10-year yield up, right? So that that would be the case for 8%. Not part of the forecast, but you know, even my seven and a quarter peak forecast call this year, I don't think it could happen because the spreads are getting better. Now the case for 6% mortgage rates. Really simple. 10-year yield gets kind of in that 3.37 to 3.80 range. Um, you don't have to have the labor market break. The spreads get better easily. Not a, not an issue. But you're probably going to need the Fed to actually get to the pivot side. Uh, um, and, you know, again, the Fed can easily change everything if they want to. They don't want to because I, I fundamentally believe they have a COVID-19 housing policy. They... We, you know, when I used to go on CNBC last year, I said it's in their interest for home sales to be depressed, depressed, not subdued, right? They use terminology to try to trick people, though. It is depressed sales levels, third year now. Um, they have not said anything to be encourageable for the housing market. So here we are. The one sector that is extremely restrictive on Fed policy is this. So uh, you can get 6% mortgage rates and not have the labor market break. But if the 10-year yield does get lower and you get normal spreads, you got sub-6% mortgage rates then, uh, and you know, uh, which I would perfectly be fine. Nothing would change on the inflation data or anything like that. I think if you're a bearish American citizen and want to see deflation and crashes and all that stuff, that's probably not what you want to see. The labor market stay firm and mortgage rates go lower like that. But uh, those are the cases to be made right now. And the reason I'm saying this is because jobless claims was good today. The 10-year yield's at 4.16. We're not got that four and a quarter, but guys, go look at that chart. Ooh, you can get that break above four and a quarter. You're doing it again. And again, this is by choice. This is Jerome Powell, Kashkari, Waller, Logan, Bostic, all of them, right? They're they're choosing this policy, not not because they have to, but they're choosing to. So in your estimation, which is more likely? Obviously, we could do either, but which do you think we would see first? What's more likely to see first? I'm always going to stick in my channel, but but again, I'm one of the few people left in this country that doesn't believe the Fed pivoted. And I'm trying to explain to people why the 10-year yield and mortgage rates are this high with a growth rate of inflation, because they they're doing quantitative tightening still 
They're just kind of, oh, maybe three rate cuts. That's not, they could do three rate cuts today and we're still a restrictive policy. So the bond market is onto this. And again, if jobless claims were rising noticeably, if we're, if we're at 270 to 280,000, 10 year yields already breaking through, right? The, pet, the bond markets go, hello, bye, Fed. We're not old and slow. We're going down, you know, so. Uh, that's not the case. Uh, uh, so naturally, if claims are near the lows of the cycle, the 10-year yield is is up. But if everything stays the same and they don't screw things up, especially uh, over the next uh, a month or two, it's it's more beneficial going down the line because some of the other disinflation things will kick in. The rents are going to kick in soon. Uh, the used car prices over time is going to kick in, so there there is some there is some good attributes there. And, and then again, let's let's be realistic with the economic data. Student loan payments are back. People are paying higher on their insurance, right? We see credit stress on the lower end, you know. So this isn't this isn't such a free and clear economic cycle anymore without some uh, uh, potholes into it. Uh, uh, so we're, we'll 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 take it, you know, one or two weeks on time, but. I think one question everybody's asking me recently, they said, well, we see all these layoffs and, you know, jobless claims aren't rising. So same answer as last year. Imagine if you're working at Microsoft and you just got laid off. Do you think you have severance? Month, two, three months, four, five? Are you, are you collecting unemployment benefits in that scenario? If you're part of a dual household income, the reason I say this is that there are a lot of dual household incomes in America. And if one person lost their job, they can still make, you know, they can still make the payments uh, until that person finds a job. So uh, it, it isn't so much of a rush to file for unemployment benefits. Now, the jobless claims data is above the recent lows, but we're still at very historic lows. So if you see all these tech layoffs and then all of a sudden, why aren't these people applying for, if they have a severance package, they're, they're chilling, right? They're chilling. They got yeah. time. So uh, don't 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 think of so much of the speed of the layoff. And remember, every January there's layoffs. That's that's the big month. The seasonality of these jobs reports. So remember, take the last two jobs reports with a grain of salt. or seasonality issue. Just take the trend. The trend is going down as it should. Right. I I would be unbelievably shocked if all of a sudden we reverse the trend or pushing three four hundred thousand job reports for the next uh, six seven months. But in that context, claims really matter. And uh, if you're if you're in the eight percent rate camp, you say the Fed doesn't pivot. That talks hawkish. Doesn't uh, stop quantitative tighten. The economic data firms up. Jobless claims go down. Technically speaking, bond traders go in, do kind of what they did last year, and then uh, uh, that'll push yields higher. And then the Fed's going to go, oh, "What's wrong? I don't know. Why are bond yields going up?" You know. So again, this is why we need to get them to go to the other side. Right? Come on. Come on, move, old man, move, move, you know, so. I'm here with Jason Bressler, CTO at United Wholesale Mortgage. UWM recently rolled out Chat UWM. Jason, can you give me a brief overview of what that is? Sure. Chat UWM is an AI-driven search engine that works in conjunction with our current application, The Source, to provide instantaneous answers to anything a mortgage broker could want or need with UWM or the entirety of the mortgage industry. Sounds amazing. And listeners, you can find out more at uwm.com. So I do think if they 
if they rise like that again, I think it'll freak the Fed out once again, and they'll make quick action. But I, Logan, I, I want a, I want a clear answer. Do you think, in the short term, rates are more likely to go up or rates are more likely to go down? Part of my forecast is is we're at the upper range, so the next move would have to be lower, right? Uh, seven and a quarter is my peak. We're we're kind of almost there. Uh, uh, we're almost at the ten-year yield peak. So again, you play the channel. The, the odds are to the to the downside more to the upside because when we if we go above seven and a quarter mortgage rates, then something went wrong, right? Uh, uh, and now, especially if the Fed says, "Oh, I, I kind of pivoted," no, no, you didn't. We're still here, guys. We're still here, and uh, um, uh, they can change it if they wanted to. They could. They choose not to. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. They can change everything, but they choose not to. It's COVID-19 housing economic policy for a reason. I, I, I have never wavered from that because at the end of 2022, once they spiked the eggnog, I was like, oh boy, here it is. You know? Here it is. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the spring housing market, something you are tracking every single week. I know you're actually tracking tracking it every day, but you write an article for us every week because you're looking at inventory, you're looking at um, purchase apps, you're looking at the percentage of homes that take a price cut, looking at mortgage rates that we just talked about. What is inventory telling us? Well, here's the here's a here's a good uh, aspect right now. Eight of the last 10 weeks, excluding holidays, purchase application data is positive. Okay, so the weeklies are positive. The year-over-years are still negative. So inventory is growing on a year-over-year basis. New listings data is growing. Not by much, but it's growing, and the weeklies are bouncing off a very low level. That's it. There's really nothing else outside of that because mortgage rates were falling, and then they stopped. Right, because the Fed came out and go, wait a second, no, 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 we, we don't want, we're not saying five rate cuts, and we're, you know, we're three, you know, but um, clearly, if the ten-year yield can break three point eight zero, that's the key line right now. If they can get there and rates go lower, demand will pick up more, and whenever rates go up after some some time, you know, we see some of the weakness in purchase application, but there's really not much. It's just kind of we're just kind of stuck here around this. Four million level, Sarah. Oh my! Who always talked about that four million level being so key in housing? Uh, but I would say that this the four million level is even it's shocking in a sense because we have a lot more people now than we did in 1996 or in 2008. Our demographics are much better. So um, again, part of the concern about having COVID 19 housing policy, where the government or the institution that serves the government in the country doesn't want younger people to buy homes. That every year that goes on, if this is year three, then year four, then year five, then you have all these people, then it's just, it's not a functioning country. And this is why younger people have to be part of the Fed. We can't have these old people sit there all the time because they don't get it. You know, have you seen Jay Powell? He's 71. He looks like he's almost done, right? He's toward the end of his career. Having younger people gives an idea that, wait a second. You know, inflation has already come down. Do we really want another third year of subdued demand? Oh, it's third years of great financial recession. You see how the mindset of someone thinking out for the future and not being stuck in the past, how beneficial that is? Like, it's one thing if the growth rate of inflation is at 6 
But if it's got a one handle, we're sitting here going, I don't know. I don't know. The 70s might come back, you know, so uh, you, you can't be afraid, right? And older people tend to be afraid. Young, they might be crazy, wild, but they're not afraid. They're, they're, you can't be afraid of living. Uh, um, so I just, we can't get any traction because rates haven't fallen down enough. Now, I would always say that the builders have shown us the pathway, but it's sub 6% mortgage rates. So if I believed that mortgage rates could range between 4.75 and 5.875 with 12 to 18 months, and we're there, oh, we can get sales growing. We got something there for sure. But it's just painful that we're still here, but based on Fed policy, you know, what we're doing as a country, uh, um, the 10-year yield being here, mortgage rates being here is not shocking uh, if you understand that. The labor market and the macro side is running the show right now, not so much inflation. I think one of the really unfortunate things, we talked about this in our last podcast, was that um, after the last FOMC meeting, after the 60 Minutes interview with Powell, it, it seems more likely that we won't see any rate cuts from them until May. But from a spring housing market perspective, May's pretty late. I mean, we, we would love to see that now or in or in March. It is, but you know, let's 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 remember what happened at toward the end of 2022 to 2023. There was we were still hiking rates and mortgage rates fell. You know, mortgage rates fell one and a half percent with rate hikes. So I think it's 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 the forward expectations and the macro that's running the show. So if the Fed was, let's say the Fed said we're not cutting at all but all of a sudden jobless claims start to spike up, the 10-year yield will go lower. So I would say that the, the macro data is running the show until the Fed pivots, right? So we're, everyone's kind of on page. We're going to get three rate cuts. Okay, that's that's that. But the macro data would really run long-term rates here. Uh, uh, and again, today's a good example. The jobless claims data was fine. Some people were anticipating maybe some weakness that didn't happen. 10-year yield went up. We had some auctions and we're here at 4.16%. We're like 9 basis points away from the peak of 2020. And it's, 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 again, it's, it's frustrating because we got one handles on PCE data three and six months. So uh, uh, if you're confused about mortgage rates, I get it. Trust me, I get it. It is, this is, this is, unless you're spending every second of your life looking at the 10 year yield, because I do nothing else. I'm such a loser. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's difficult to understand this uh, uh, marketplace when you were, told that, oh, if inflation falls, mortgage rates will fall one to one. It's just, it hasn't been the case. And and also remember, global bond yields are higher now. It isn't just us. We're not dealing with trillions of dollars of negative yields out there anymore. So it's a completely different marketplace than what people might have been accustomed to in the previous decade. So what you're saying is we can hope that the those macro factors affect the the mortgage rates more than, you know, Wait, just waiting on the Fed for the to change the Fed funds rate. Sarah, if they wanted the ten-year yield to go down, there's a lot of things they could say and do. They choose not to, so that has to be run on the macro data. Uh, um, and uh, again, uh, we had this huge move right from eight percent mortgage rates to almost six and a half. Well, that was because the Fed was done and the market believed them. Right? the The blessing in disguise of last year was that when the ten year yield got to five percent, eight percent, the Fed's like, "Oh my God, did we overdo it?" Yes, we did. Is Logan going to make fun of us? Yes, he is. Darn it! 
Yeah. And then they just kind of threw in the towel and said, okay, all right, we're not going to be hawkish anymore, but we're going to, we're going to kick and fight and scream. And you're not going to, you know, get us to do anything we don't want to do. But that's why you saw that big move in mortgage rates lower. It's because that's what traditionally happens with economic cycles when the market and the Fed believes they're done hiking rates. And I think a lot of people are just so used to, okay, if the Fed is cutting at this point, that means a recession is right here. It doesn't necessarily mean that. It's just, it depends on how late they are to doing uh, policy, getting it to neutral. So the longer you stay in restrictive policy, the higher the probability of a recession, the longer it's, it's out here. This is why staying below four and a quarter is key. You could see the builders like this environment a lot better, right? They can pay down mortgage rates. God, you could get some of these rates below 5%. Uh, um, in this case, you know, that's what the, the Fed is looking at for single family construction and employment work. So it's, it's, it's one of those, it's, it's, it's a very, very unique cycle in so many ways. And, uh, uh, I always tell people, you never want to root for a recession for lower rates, but you see these surveys and people are like, God, if the, can't the economic data just get a little bit weaker so we get rates lower. That's again, that's, that's because we have too many old people at the Fed. They just don't get it. Right, they just don't. They're just oh, they're so old. Oh, I'm slamming these things, Sarah Wheeler. I know you are. People can't see you. It's hilarious. You should definitely watch him on YouTube. He's a uh, he, he's very animated. Every time I'm like, you have to not do your. Hands. You should have seen me as a hurt. high school basketball coach. Yeah, I should say I never sat down once. Five years of coaching, never sat down once. Never got a technical, but I never sat down once. And I'm out there, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> this is actually very so calm for me. Amazing. We heard you after the gathering. You want to know more about AI. What's real, what's not, where do you start, and how can AI drive ROI? That's why we're hosting the Housing Wire AI Summit. Join us in Dallas on July 23rd for the most powerful room in housing on this topic. Execs and tech leaders, this event is for you. We'll be talking about leveraging traditional AI and Gen AI to grow your business, whether you're in mortgage, real estate, title, or appraisal. And no vaporware allowed. Register today at housingwire.com. Oh, uh, uh, another thing on the uh, uh, macro side, uh, a lot of people are are talking about, well, what about the... um, Red Sea and shipping costs are going to go up so much. Is that going to uh, push inflation higher? There, there's going to be some prices paid uh, 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 and insurance costs goes up, but not, not necessarily what we saw in COVID. Uh, uh, COVID, there was a whole, everything wasn't working, right? So uh, you can make uh, maybe some, some of the parts of the inflation data get sticky, but it's just, it's not the same thing. And just remember, you you can't really have breakaway inflation unless rent inflation takes off, right? So it's it's impossible. Okay. We, we had this discussion uh, actually last night where people were saying, "Well, rents are going to shoot up again," and I said, "It's it's impossible." And I'm gonna, I'm going to tell you why. Um, well, September 2022, going on CNBC and saying the growth rate of inflation is going to fall down, right? Uh, supply is coming on, wage growth is going to cool. You need if you're looking for accelerated rents. You need less supply and stronger wage growth. You can't have a reacceleration of rent and have wage growth slowing down, which we see, right? The so-called sticky wage growth Atlanta Fed that couldn't break down. We're basically back to the levels in the late 1990s in uh, 
uh, early 2000s. So the sticky inflation of wages are now coming down. So prices being pushed up is you can't do it anymore. So we don't have to worry about the reacceleration of inflation because rent's going to drive that and too much supply. Now, the, the single family rents are holding up better than the apartments, but too much supply, less wage growth. Those are two things that if you're looking for a reacceleration of rent inflation deviating from 20-year trends, not going to happen, right? You need, you need uh, something on the supply side and, and the wage side to kick in. And then you know people could charge more rents because people are making more. You can't have more supply and growth. And we see a lot of areas in, in the US where they're offering one, two, three, three months of rent uh, if you come sign this lease. So uh, uh, we, uh, it's not that market anymore. We're not, we're not, we shouldn't worry about that. Absolutely. Where I am, which is, you know, the DFW area, there's been so much apartment growth over the last two years and it's all come online last, say six months, nine months. And that's exactly what I see. I mean, it is, it is noticeable everywhere and they have those big signs out front. Yes. And what's, what's the best way to deal with inflation, Sarah? More supply. More supply. Supply is always the best way. If you're doing demand destruction, that is a very, very short-term way of thinking. And then eventually that demand destruction impacts future production. And that's what we're seeing here because now the apartment boom is over. Those workers are at risk. They've got to finish some of those projects. We don't see some of those projects being done. Uh, um, And uh, unfortunately, that's the reality. And oddly enough, I believe Jay Powell even wrote about that one time in uh, in the early 1990s, if you stay high enough, long enough, you'll eventually impact future production. And that in itself is inflationary. But, you know, this is trying to manage uh, a, a cycle can be uh, unique uh, at times. So, Logan, you and I talk about sometimes, you know, I ask you, you know, okay, so what, what else is lurking out there that could affect things? Um, we did some reporting last week that New York Bancorp um, is facing a confidence crisis due to its due to its exposure to commercial real estate loans. And we know that that's a big warehouse lender for um, people who do mortgage lending. So we'd love to ask you about that, what you think the risk is there. Well, with all banks that are running into a crisis, if it is, I know their stock price has gone down a lot. Um, uh, they'll sell stuff that if they, if they need, if they can sell or eventually these banks will get merged with other people, um, uh, and the Federal Reserve believes that they can they could you know manage this by all these banks that are going going to go under. They'll just merge them with bigger banks uh, if they can't find a resolution to this going out in the future. So obviously they can they can sell some of their uh, uh, portfolios if they need to raise capital. And again, we all know this is coming. There's a lot of these loans, when they come due, the, they, they can't take them. So the losses on the books will hit their capital. They can't lend as much. So that's something that'll that'll be with us for, this will be with us for a long time um, until every last lender that can't make it, you know, merges or gets, uh, we're going to, we're going to deal with this process. So uh, this is the, we're kind of in the early stages of this long baseball game. And uh, uh, the Fed, I believe, knows that these banks aren't going to uh, make it uh, uh, in a sense. I'm not just talking about the New York Bank, but in general, there's just some banks that are going to take too much losses. And if, if it becomes an issue, they'll just merge them with other banks 
uh, the Fed believes they can do some things just to mitigate some of the damages. We saw that in Silicon Valley Bank, just these emergency meetings and selling these banks off or given to the bidder or whatever fashion they want. Uh, and, and that's we're just we're going to get stories like this going out for years, uh, especially when the loans are, are, are coming due. So it doesn't worry you that they are a big uh, warehouse lender. Well, I mean, I mean, one of the things that did happen um, is the the housing market got their credit tighter when the Silicon Valley Bank happened. And uh, because mortgage rates went up, the spreads got worse. And then also jumbo lending for these commercial banks got tighter. So uh, it's already here in a sense. Uh, we, are, we, already, we already got hit with that. Um, we, we wouldn't have got to 8% mortgage rates, actually, if the banking crisis didn't happen last year because the spreads were actually getting better. We actually reversed the good movement of the spreads and got to pre-cycle highs in the, in the spreads. So mortgage rates were almost half a percent higher than what we what we would have been. And in a case, we probably could have gone even lower on the spread. So I would always say the, the commercial bank situation already impacted housing on the mortgage rate side, on the credit spread side, and also tightening on the jumbo market for some of these commercial lenders. So uh, we've already been hit. It's, 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 it doesn't get talked about that way, but that's, that's how I explain it, that the Silicon Valley Bank hit housing uh, 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 and we saw it in the data right away. Spreads got worse, jumbo market, they're banks out there that uh, 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 kind of got hit on the lending side. And when, you, when you're when you basically pulling back, you're not lending as much. That is credit getting tighter in itself. Oh, we hate Fed. to see that. We'll keep an Understand eye on this. it. Understand this. Yeah. Let's Fed. Fed people, let's pivot. Land the plane. Let's reverse. Okay. Let's get this going. Let's not wait any longer. And uh, don't play with fire. Appreciate that. I will let that be the last word because that is the best last word. Logan, thanks for being on. Talk to you again soon. Pleasure. Thank you for listening. And thank you to our sponsor, Truve. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.